invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 49 for our scripture reading. Psalm 49 can be found on page 558 in the Pew Bible. Following the reading of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn in the Forms and Prayers book to page 205. We'll be looking at Lord's Day 5, uh, questions 12, 13, and 14 only. But now we turn our attention to God's Word. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain, he is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. After them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for shale, Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shale with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of shale, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May it is blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation, I invite you to turn in the Forms and Prayers book to question and answer 12, page 205, 205, Lord's Day 5. The question is asked, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? And the answer is, God requires that his justice be satisfied, satisfied, that to, to gratify to the full, 
to appease God to the fullest. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full. God's justice must be satisfied, gratified to the fullest with full payments, either by ourselves or by another. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. That punishment, as we have seen in the past few weeks, is death. It is spiritual death and physical death. We inherited a sinful nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And the wages of sin is death, says the Apostle Paul, which is a spiritual death an eternal separation from God. That's the punishment for sin. This is what the Bible teaches. This isn't my opinion on the matter. This is what God's Word says. Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned both original, born with sin from the first man, Adam, and due to actual sin, the sin we commit daily. If we continue on in the catechism, on the next page, 206, can any other creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No, to begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. No man, no creature. I missed uh, question and answer 13 on page 205. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day, and that is the actual sin that we commit can sinners satisfy this debt, this great debt? I like to call it the resume of unrighteousness. The resume of unrighteousness. You know, you write out a resume for a job. You, you list all your, you know, your strengths, and you want, it, you want your resume to glow. You know, you want to grab the attention of your possible future employer. And so you're going to put together a nice resume of your life who you are. Well, friends, our resume before God is pretty painful to look at because indeed it is a resume of unrighteousness. Can we pay in full the debt of our sin, both original and actual, and be on good terms with the holy God? That is what the catechism is addressing. How do we address God's justice. How do we pay the debt? Is it possible for us to pay the debt? Well, no person can pay the great debt owed to God and be ransomed from eternal condemnation. Our sin and misery are too great. Too great. We are so fallen that the Bible calls us dead in sin and trespasses. In our sermon text this evening, Psalm 49, 
This is known as a didactic psalm or a teaching psalm in the form of music. Back then, in the ancient Near East, it was very common to teach wisdom and understanding through music. In fact, this carries on in Northern Europe and in Ireland and Scotland. They teach their wisdom through music. Same thing exists today in the Middle East. In the ancient Near East, back in the biblical times, especially in the Egyptian literature, there's much to be spoken of concerning this. For example, example, there was a, a song by a harpist who said this, And those, the dead, who built their mansions and tombs, all, all are at rest in their graves. So build a great home in the land of the dead that your name may endure because of it. This was a song that the Egyptians would sing to music, to instruments. And it was a song about death. A song about death. The author of this psalm, Psalm 49, meditates upon the riddle of life, the mystery and profoundness of death. I always find that at funerals, once again, our mortality grabs our attention, doesn't it? That we are flesh. We are mortal. But it draws our attention all the more to Jesus. King Jesus, who was raised from the dead. But Psalm 49 is an appeal to all peoples, not just the people of Israel, but to all peoples. When he says at verse 1, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world. I'm going to address to you a very important matter, something that I've been meditating upon in my heart and in my mind, and that is the reality of death. Every person must face this reality. And so he's going to share wisdom and understanding a wisdom and understanding that comes from God himself to the author because he is a man of faith. And what does he teach by way of song? He teaches that no sinner can pay for immortality. No sinner can pay for immortality. The psalmist asked the question after he tells, he pleads with them to listen to his song And how he's going to teach them a song, a very valuable song. He says at verse 5, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That, the reason being, that or so that, He should live on forever and never see the pit. Can man pay enough so that they shall never die? He doesn't need to fear because he knows the ultimate end of all men and women is death. All peoples. Because death is no respecter of persons. Death awaits everyone. Well, 
let me preface that. that. Death awaits everyone except those whom are alive when Jesus Christ comes. <laughs> Again. Death is certain and it's no respecter of person. It comes to the rich, the poor. It comes to the upper, middle, lower class people. It comes to the president and pauper. There are no exceptions and no exemptions. No man can pay for his immortality, especially the immortality of another person. That is, no one is exempt from death. And we see that in verses 7 through 9. Most religions of the world believe that death is a reality and they try to grapple with it. They pull out their sacred writings. They pull out myths that have been passed on from generation to generation in their particular culture and worldview. And there's a narrative, a death narrative of where death came from, how and why it exists, and what is the ultimate end, what happens after death. Religions of the world have their narrative for that. They have their myths and genealogies, their sayings, their sacred writings. For example, in the time of the Israelites, the ancient Canaanite god called Mot, which means the god of death, says that the grave swallows up and consumes, opens up its mouth wide and consumes. That's what death is. That's what death is. And still others, especially in the time of this writing, death was a way to annihilation of the whole person including the soul. In the writings of Mesopotamia, Marduk, the god, sends his consort, Sarpanitim. Sarpanitim was Marduk, the god's consort. And consort, this consort, this, this helper of Marduk, the god of Mesopotamia, would restore life from death. He would prevent annihilation upon death. And so, yes, there were Narratives. There were beliefs back then. We even have that today in so-called Christian circles. Where upon death, the soul is annihilated. Called the doctrine of annihilationism. Because people can't bear the thought of a loved one going to hell. Indeed, it is painful. It is profoundly and deeply painful. If a person does not know Jesus and is cast into utter darkness, and so Christian circles come up with the doctrine of annihilationism, death is unavoidable. How do we make sense of it? Some believe that death is the end and there's no immortality to the soul. You just cease to exist. A person's name is immortalized on this side, in this earth, through possessions and power. I remember my dad taking us to various cemeteries in his, in his town and in my mother's town in Italy. And these grandiose, huge mausoleums. They're like homes for the dead. 
And the person lives through these buildings. Because how do you make sense of death? The Egyptians, the pharaohs of Egypt, let's bury them with their possession to take it to the next life. The psalmist is speaking, singing, singing a hymn about death. And that no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. No man can ransom either himself or another to achieve immortality. Many years ago, at a church we were serving at, there was a GEMS program and there were many young girls from the community coming to the program, going through Bible study, and the teachers realized that these girls did not know the Bible at all. No working knowledge of the Bible. And so they started from the beginning. They were working through Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 3. And the teacher discussed with the girls the creation of all things, the creation of man and woman made in God's image and God's likeness. They're called to be fruitful and multiply. Then they get to the fall, the sin, how sin entered the world and death through sin. And during the time of discussion, a young girl from the community, not taught in the Bible at all, raised her hand and asked this question. And if Adam and Eve had not sinned, this is a 10-year-old girl, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, would they have been immortal? As it is, they did sin, and it was a difficult question for <laughs> the teacher to grapple with, with this young woman who is wanting to know the truth. There are some things that are mysterious, but the things that are revealed are for us and our children and are to be taught. And so this was an opportunity for, for the teacher to explain to her how death came into the world that we are mortal because of the fall and corruption of man and death entered the world through the first sin. And clearly the author teaches that no one is exempt from sin. Look with me at verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Yes, they have the glitz and glamour now. Yes, they are on top of the world perhaps. They have prestige, power, money, wealth. But they can't buy off God. 
That's the reality that the author's getting at. Yes, there's death, and you can't buy it off. You can't buy God off. Because we are all broken people. And they can't take their wealth with them in the next life. No sinner can pay for their immortality. No sinner or any other creature, as the catechism teaching, uh, teaches, can pay the great debt owed to God because the, the cost is pricey. It is too costly. And our attempts to pay off our debts are unsatisfactory. He says it will not suffice. It's unsatisfactory. Not sufficient. No man possesses enough wealth, prestige, or power over death. No man possesses enough fame or fortune to pay off the debt so that he may be immortal, never experience death and the darkness of shale. No man, no man is exempt from God's judgment. No man. A sinner may pay off people in their business dealings, in their workplace, satisfy the anger of somebody else in the workplace, but they can't satisfy God's anger. They can't satisfy God's anger and justice by giving a benevolent check when you put your tithe in, your, in the basket. You can't satisfy God's justice or wrath against sin. The debts that we pay have to pay by good works. No man has the ability, no man possesses the costly ransom for his or her life. Man must pay the ultimate penalty, spiritual and physical death. This is the reality that the psalmist is singing about. This is the reality of death. And it is impossible with man. It is impossible with man to be released from the captivity of the grave, the captivity of death, the bondage of sin and death. It is too hard. It is impossible. I keep repeating it. I'll tell you what. People still believe it and think it. Perhaps we do, maybe unintentionally. In fact, the quite, quite the opposite is true. We only increase our debt daily. As we read from the catechism. No creatures, no animals can pay the ransom for sinners. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrifices of animals were a foreshadowing of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The blood atonement for the forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament sacrifices pointed to Christ. They could never cleanse sin, as the author of Hebrews said. There needed to be a shedding of blood, an ultimate payment for sin that no man could give 
except the God-man, Lord Jesus, who shed his blood to ransom us from the curse of God, the curse of the law, and the last enemy, death. God requires that a person who possesses our human nature, the likeness of our nature, yet without sin, to sufficiently and satisfactorily pay the debt. That's why Jesus' blood is so precious, of such infinite worth. such infinite value. You hear me pray oftentimes, Lord, teach me what it means that Jesus died for my sins. This is one of those reasons I pray that prayer. And I say this often, we cannot plumb the depths of the blood of Christ and what he accomplished And this is one of those moments where we're smacked right in the middle of our face, instead right in the heart with the Word of God. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. We cannot please God. We cannot pay the debt owed to God. Because only God ransoms sinners. And the author does not fear Because all men will experience death and he knows, he knows that his God, verse 15, God will ransom my soul. My soul. From the power of Sheol. For he will receive me. This is a man of faith who's speaking from a biblical worldview and framework. The result of sin and rebellion against God, against God's righteous standard and law is death in the grave. But he knows. He knows the remedy. He knows the healing power of God over sin, death, and the grave. He believes in God's promise. Like all the Old Testament saints, they believed in God's promise in the coming of the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. They longed for His day. They longed for the day of the coming of the Messiah, the one who would ransom sinners. God will redeem and pay the great debt that has held the sinner captive to death and darkness. God will send God the Son to make that payment. See, the believing author knows, he believes that he will be received by the Lord and enter his presence where there is light and life as opposed to those, the unrighteous, that we read in verses 16 to 20. Look with me in your Bible. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. This is the sober reality of the unrighteous. 
That is those who do not believe in God. He will not be swallowed up in defeat. He will not be swallowed up by death because he knows whom he believes. He knows that his Lord is the Lord of life and light. Light and life is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall, what? Live. Live. Is that an amen? Though he die, he shall live. Jesus is a son of man who came to serve and not be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely... It is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That is, those who are the faith of Abraham. Those are the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, that is, to appease God's wrath and judgment against sin. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, too, is not, was not exempt to death, for he suffered death on the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the suffering and its shame. He suffered death. And by his death and resurrection from the dead, we receive the redemption and immortality. And immortality. Friends, the blood of our Lord Jesus is infinite in worth and value that only his precious blood pays the debt to God. God sends God to pay the debt because the debt is so great that only God can pay it. When God the Son took our very likeness, our very nature, yet without sin, to bear our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Indeed, He is the Son of God and Son of Man, the Beloved Son, who came from heaven to satisfy God's justice 
to satisfy it to the fullest, satisfactorily, sufficiently, effectively, completely, totally, put whatever word that has the fullness of it in it. That's what he accomplished. And so that he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Because salvation is of the Lord. And through faith in his name, the righteous requirements of the law are obeyed by those who are of faith, his people. Congregation, God's justice can only be satisfied if and only if God initiates and provides that debt being paid, that ransom. All attempts by sinners to ransom self or another leaves us in the poor house. Leaves us wanting. Leaves us without hope in death and a life to come. You know, many of you grew up in a Christian church in a covenant home. And praise be to God for that. That is, that is God's grace and goodness to you. But there are many who have not grown up in a Christian home in a covenant home. And I happen to be one of them. And it was astounding the ways in which we try to grapple with death. The way we grappled with death before I came to know Christ was through alcohol, through denial. Because everybody struggles with the pain of death, the sorrow of death, because death stinks. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's why when anyone dies, when anyone experiences death, it is a grievous and heartbreaking thing. And there are peoples in the world who are grappling with death and looking at all the wrong places to find peace with God amidst death and the experience of death. Some may go to drugs and alcohol. Some may go to false religions that, like I said this morning, remember when I talked about false teachers and prophets? Peace, peace. There's no peace in death if you don't have the truth. God, by His grace, has bestowed upon you, Christian, the truth concerning life and death the truth concerning the death and resurrection of the living Lord Jesus, who saves us from our sins and raises us on the last day. Now we need to be clear that the Scriptures teach that the physical body is sacred. Yes, the body goes into the grave, goes into the earth, but that body is sacred to God because He created us in body and soul. And in body and soul, God will bring about redemption full and free. He is not done when you become a Christian. You are not done. The body and soul, both are ransomed by God. When you die, will you be raised to eternal life or eternal condemnation? Jesus came, and he is the resurrection and the life. And he asked Mary, do you believe this, Mary? <clears throat> Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? 
And the same question is for all of us. Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Because a day of resurrection is coming. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, the author writes, At that time shall arise Michael, <clears throat> the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Immortality awaits, awaits the people of God in the resurrection of the dead. For Jesus came, <clears throat> he died, and he rose again to secure that ransom, that salvation, so that in body and soul and life and in death, we belong to Jesus. And we will be with him always, even to the end of the age. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will ransom my soul from the power of shale. In fact, he did when he sent his son. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, the great God of heaven and earth, the King immortal, the only wise God. We give you thanks and praise. We bow our heads and our hearts to you. Because you, O oh Lord, sent your one and only Son to pay the debt, <clears throat> the great debt that is owed to you. We thank you for Jesus, who is our all in all, our only hope in this life and in the life to come. He is the resurrection and the life, and in him there is life and immortality. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We give thanks and praise to you, O oh God, for the victory that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the risen one, the conquering king. Father in heaven, we pray that we would live our lives in light of the comfort and hope we have in Christ. And that we, O oh Lord, would sing the song of redemption, the song of salvation, not only here in church and worship, but in our homes, that the nations may know that you are God and that you alone ransom your people. Use us, O oh Lord. Take us and use us for your glory and honor to be a conduit of that message, that glorious message that Jesus Christ indeed is the resurrection and the life. In your name we pray.